This is the Big Sky Boneheads podcast. Thank you for taking some time with us today. My name is Michael Gray. His name is Scott Hershey. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever your podcasts are. They sold, but they're free. I hope they're free. If you're paying for this one, let us know who you're paying. <laughs> Somebody's getting paid. What? Of it. what? Fun conversation coming up a little bit later. A man that makes me feel like a 225-pound pile of ambulatory butter. Um, John Fitzgerald, an accomplished ultramarathoner. Yeah, it's, I, I don't even understand how uh, a body does what he does. He says in one breath, be kind to yourself, and in the next, he runs 100 miles yeah. in a row. I don't know. We're going to talk to him. It, it's a really interesting conversation, uh, just the mentality of it. And he's right here in Montana, and a number of them are. And uh, it's that kind of it's that season. It's time to get out and do things, and our trail systems are going to see some miles put on them on with bicycles and hikers and uh, even guys that just run everywhere all the time uphill. We're starting to feel like real spring in Montana, where you know a bit. It's it's grass and it's not covered in snow every <laughs> four bit. days, or yeah. you know it's actually feeling like the temperature's starting to stabilize. It's still been a cool spring, but uh, so now you get to go do all those things right. outside. Now I'm not running up and down hills 100 miles like like john does because he's talking about running in the mountains of montana in the desert valley but i'll get outside people are getting outside and doing things i legit think twice about driving 100 miles right like oh <laughs> especially with diesel fuel being four five forty nine a gallon like i don't really know if i need to go and when i do i sit by a lake in a chair and drink beer all day that's what right. i do after driving 100 miles exactly and you can do that now man it is for people that are from montana uh we know seventh winter uh, and we got sixth and seventh winter there in uh, April, but now that things have turned to May, they're turning nice. Uh, you get in the boat out, right? You get the you get your little one man. My wife's not welcome. Boat. I learned uh, I learned the guides call those maggot boats. <laughs> That's what they call those. Maggot. It's not a complimentary term. <laughs> maggot boats. That's what they consider little, the boats like I have on the river. Get your little one man pontoon. Yeah. yeah, they get in the way. They don't like them. <laughs> like nothing worse on earth. <laughs> The only thing worse, though, and there is something worse, actually, and that is anybody out there on the river who's floating in an inflatable unicorn. They don't like those as much, <laughs> even as the maggot boats. That's for you folks in Missoula <laughs> on the Clark Fork cruising your way through town right past campus. Right. I saw a number of those inflatable unicorns. <laughs> they looked like great fun. I'm too old. Right, and they tie all their uh, tubes together. Yeah. Uh, you know, oh, yeah. Fishermen hate them, but they do look like they're having a good time. If you've never been on a on a river tubing trip, I realize the fly fishermen are grumble 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 but man it's just great fun. yeah it's not a bad way to spend a day inflate one around a cooler you tie it to your other tubes right. and off you go a little flotilla of irresponsibility i don't know if we're there yet this spring not uh, yet. that water's a little chilly <laughs> no, not you know, yet. you'll be out there in a wetsuit but uh yeah it's oh. getting closer to being able to actually use the rivers i'll tell you what man uh looking around the the headlines from the region you've got uh in like record setting snow melt going on in colorado we'll be lucky to have rivers um it, those deep enough to run it to because the water is shook uh, there's some snow up in the mountains still though That's good. it looks good up there we need it yeah, we absolutely. It looks better than it did in winter. Yeah, it does. And I hope it stays until this time next year right. <laughs> because we're going to need it. Uh, but it is one of those great times of the year. I know um, I'm doing all the prep. I've got I got the camper in to get new tires put on it. I got to get the boat into the guy that does the boat thing. I'm convinced the guy that works on the boat in the spring, I just pull it in. He leaves it in the parking lot for 24 hours. I show up. He charges me an inordinate amount of money, convinces me he did a bunch of stuff, and then sends me on my way. I have no idea what happens in my boat. They don't put they... that plastic wrap, they don't shrink wrap it for the winter? No. Do they do that? No, I park because I, oh. I have a spot to park it. I don't. Luckily, I don't need that. I park it inside, but 
yeah, I, I give it to him in the fall, and he gives it back, and I, I just have to assume the things have been done. Yeah. And then I take it to him in the spring. He does something. It works again. He says he, he says he does something. It starts. I'm like, wow, he's awesome. Well, and then I have no idea. <laughs> you and everybody else. There could be maple syrup in the gas tank. I have no clue. Right. Well, at least but, you do. I see those boats with the big shrink wrap on them. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, those people are taking care of their boats. They're getting them winterized. And then they. And then all I can think about is, do you know how hard it is, it is to take the wrapping like that off of a piece of food? <laughs> yeah. And you got to do a boat? Yeah. Come on. Yeah. It's like, where's the tab on this thing? That doesn't look like any fun at all. But. <laughs> It is a good time, and we finally get to get outside in Montana, and no one gets more outside than the ultra-marathoning crew. I can't imagine uh, the training and then the events themselves and the gruelingness of it all. And uh, so here's our conversation with John Fitzgerald. Sir, how are you? Doing pretty well. Yeah, just uh, uh, I got done with the run not too long ago, so <laughs> all doing right. pretty good. If you had an official title, what is it? What are you... What are you like if official title. John Fitzgerald's business card, what's it read? Um, well, my profession, I'm an endurance coach. Um, I work with, uh, yeah, ultra runners, mostly, uh, trail runners. I work with mountain bikers. Uh, and so, yeah, I don't know. Endurance coach sounds kind of, yeah, it's kind of broad. But, All right. Well, what yeah. you, you said you just finished a run. What, what was that? Because you're not exhausted, you're not sweating yeah. through your shirt. You right, look, right. You look. Well, like I you, showered and all that. You, but, uh, yeah, but if I, I guarantee, if I ran as far as however you ran, <laughs> I would still be sweating through my clothes yeah. a day yeah, later. Yeah. Um, no, today was. I just got out for. I usually go by uh, uh, time, so it was like uh, an hour and twenty minutes or something like that. So nothing too crazy. Went up Mount Helena, so nonstop yeah. for an hour and twenty minutes. Yeah, hour twenty. I'd so. be dead. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I would be dead today if I uh, went out and walked up Mount Helena. But that's yeah. a. <laughs> how do you turn somebody into an ultra runner? I mean, in a in a short, um, capsulized version of this, somebody comes to you and says, "I want to run my my marathon. This is my bucket list. I want to finish a marathon, um, and I would like you to coach me to get there from basically point zero. How do you? What's your first thing you do? Yeah. Um, and that's, I get a lot of athletes that have no experience with running, you know, they're, maybe they have a background in, uh, you know, walking and things like this, just enjoying being outside. So, I mean, you start with just, you know, getting out there, uh, trying to build the frequency of, of, uh, days spent, uh, running or walking, but I do a lot of run walk, uh, intervals with athletes to get going so it could be you know a couple minutes of running and then you take a bit of time to walk and then you go back into it and then eventually kind of extend those running intervals over time so it's a it's a patient process but you know one step at a time and uh it's amazing what you can what you can do i'd start by running to the mailbox and then i <laughs> take a day off <laughs> sit down relax right. how did you how did you get started because ultra is a different like i see the 26 point you know the stickers and you see all of that stuff and i got marathoning because it's kind of a community thing and thousands of people yeah. are doing it but ultra marathons a hundred miles uh-huh. in a row yeah <laughs> like like how, how at what point you're like yeah no I, I need to do that to my body right right um yeah you know i i've always been into just getting out and, and uh, pushing myself actually i wrestled um when I was younger, I gave a go at wrestling in college. That didn't last too long. But I was always drawn to just, like, hard things. Things that's that were endurance. challenging. Yeah, I mean, yeah. R- wrestling's all endurance, man. You got you, – your cardio, your wind has got to be amazing to win at it. Oh, wrestling – I still reflect back on some of the wrestling practices, and they're 
yeah, some of the hardest uh, minute per minute <laughs> efforts that I've, I've ever done. But so, yeah, just challenge, I think, was the big one, you know, is just being outside, uh, immersing myself uh, in nature and just seeing what's possible, really. Like, you know, just curiosity, I think, really drew me to uh, the longer distances. Yeah. Is that how you end up? Because you're an East Coast kid originally. Yeah. I'm going to forgive the, the Boston hat. Uh, I'm from Detroit. Risky. Yeah. Uh, Red Sox. <laughs> uh, but you're an East Coast kid. Is that part of the allure then? Once you're into that endurance mindset, once you're into like, let's see what I can do. Yeah. All right, I can run far. Now I've got to run far up. Is that, I mean, is that part of the allure of Montana and coming out here, coming out here. and finding this environment to go with the activity? Yeah, yeah. No, that's a good question. Um, yeah, East Coast, I was growing up just south of Boston. I mean, there's not big mountains, but <laughs> we'd get up uh, quite a bit up to New Hampshire and Vermont and Maine, and they've got some pretty good hills up there. So, um, so yeah, I grew up kind of roaming around up in the hills up there, and that kind of inspired me to to get up and just kind of have a better view of the landscape. But, yeah, coming out to, to Montana – for school in 2008, my eyes were just, you know, I was a kid in a candy store, just looking at uh, the open country and uh, quite different from back east where you have, you're in the woods. So when you're out here, you've got big, you know, views, big sky country. So, right. um, so yeah, that really opened me up to get out and explore even more for sure. And so. sea level. I mean, I got to believe yeah. that was, a. I know, because I, 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 you would not know this by looking at me, but I work out as often as I can. It's a lot yeah. of work to be this mediocre. Um, and I know living here for a number of years, there was a, I did a trip to Alaska and I went for a quick run, five miles, settle down. But it was at sea level. It was in Sitka, right on yeah. the ocean. Yeah. And after all the years of being here, having not seen sea level in some time, man, it was different. I was five miles in. I was fine. Yeah. Five miles here, it's time to go home. You know, get the dogs in the truck. Let's let's get out of here. I'm tired. Yeah. But it was it was a different experience that way. Um, right. How much of that is there for you? A little still? bit, but yeah, with Missoula, Missoula is uh, what 3,300 feet, so it's not super high. Um, most people start to really notice the altitude right around there. You yeah. Know, for, we're at my house here, and Helen is at like what 4,400 feet. So, but I think it's also a lot of it's psychological too. When I go back to Massachusetts and run my old running routes. You know, I'm just flying, you know. Mm -hmm. I think part of it is just being back in the old stomping grounds. But, uh, oh, I'm at sea level, you know. I'm gonna, sure. Yeah. So I think a lot of it's psychological, too. The hmm. psychological aspect is fascinating to me because uh, most people, uh, like me especially, who do not run <laughs> very much, if at all. Um, but even climbing hills, I, I go out and I hunt. And, and the discomfort, I mean, the discomfort doesn't go away. And I, I've talked to, uh, like, marathon runners and, and, and cross-country runners as people, as athletes. And, and I say, you know, and they say, you know, it, it sucks. It still sucks. And But the psychological aspect of getting over that, especially for an ultra-marathon runner, is is, uh, is something that I don't think many normal people like me completely understand. So how do you how do you do that? How do you overcome pain? How do you overcome the all of the the things that limit a normal person to getting to the point that you're at? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, well, that's the first thing I get when people say, "Hey, you've done an ultra marathon, or you've done 100 miles." Is you're crazy, or you know, how do you mm -hmm. do that? And I think the first step is to kind of wrap your head around it, right? Is to not think about the giant task at hand at 100 miles or getting up the mountain, but think about one step at a time and breaking it into chunks. And so if you can kind of, and this could be for a hunting trip, right? Instead of thinking the big loop that you're going to scout for whatever you're hunting, think about just getting to that first scouting point, you know, where you're going to glass and just mm -hmm. break it into its parts. And before you know it, you're like, holy cow, I've been out here half the day, 
you know, and you're not really thinking about, you know, the future or you're just kind of trying to be but present. But if you're running, that's all you have to think about. It seems like like your mind, I guess, I guess you could wander a little bit, but once you get to a certain point, I mean, the, I can't imagine the breathing, the, the, the pain that you have to go to and keep, keep pushing. Yeah. And what I coach my athletes on and I practice as well is, you know, uh, just trying to be, be present with the effort. And again, our brains are quick to kind of, uh, you know, go into the future, kind of think about things in the past. But if you can just kind of really be with your breath and realize that, okay, my legs might be feeling a little fatigued, but that's not all that's there. There's other things in my reality and my <laughs> surroundings right. that I can kind of give attention to, like the blue sky or the birds or whatever. So, How much of that is meditative for you? Yeah, I mean, I, I think just movement in general, I mean, is, is definitely a, a med- medicine. I do look at just getting out and, and whether it is hiking or running or hunting is is definitely medicine and yeah i definitely get into a different state when i'm out you know on the trails and that novelty moving over the rocks and stuff like that is yeah it's pretty awesome are you currently training for anything um yeah so i'm actually training right now for the hard rock 100 uh it's a, a race in the san juan mountains in colorado and so it's actually taken me 11 years to get into the event uh it's a lottery system that you they have, have that get. many people um, that many people this? that apply, so there's not that wow. many people that run, but the yeah. the amount of applicants that get to, to put in for the race is thousands. I'm feeling smaller by the minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The fact that there's a waiting list for people to do something that you would have to force me by court order <laughs> to even consider. Yeah, it's it's a hard race. It's uh, average elevation of 11,000 feet for 100 miles, and then you gain the vertical gain of loss is 33,000 feet. So you're wow. climbing the height of or just over the height of Everest over the race. And so, yeah. you know, there had to <laughs> Those be a, are huge numbers. Yeah, it's lots of lots of climbing. There had to be these points where you're you're running a certain distance, you're in a certain race, and you're like, that was really hard. And then you go to something that's even harder, and you go to something even harder. Is it easy for you now? Do you have to do minimal, if any, training for a normal marathon? Oh, well, they're totally different different events, right? I mm-hmm. mean, a, a marathon uh, is really hard because you're run. I mean, if you're tr- trying to run it fast, that's a whole different ball game. So yeah, I think actually marathon training is uh, up there with hundred mile training just because you're doing a lot of intensity as well. So the, it's the like a sprint to you. Yeah, exactly. No, seriously. <laughs> I mean, it's, comparatively. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like a sprint in a way. So mm-hmm. yeah, the, the trail running is nice because if, again, if you have a, a background in hunting where you're hiking quite a bit, I mean, just for sustainability, you're going to do quite a bit of walking. So I think actually the transition from road running to trail running for some people can be tricky because then they're walking and they're not used to that. So so what does the schedule look like for you with these 100-mile, with the ultras? Is it one a year? Is it one every six months? Like how often do you do these things? Um, I mean, when I first got into ultra running, I, I kind of, I really got into it. I got hooked. I was like, this is pretty awesome. And I think there was actually one year where I did about four or 500 mile foot races in a year. So it was quite a lot. I don't recommend that, uh, (laughs) to anyone. Uh, but, uh, right now I've kind of cut back a bit for sure. So typically about one, one a year and I'm mixing in some shorter races and I like to do some adventure races as well too. Who do you lean on for medical? Because like when I go in, I go, I have an annual checkup yeah, and yeah. I go in and my doctor's like, all right, you put another five pounds on. What are we doing? You know, your, your blood pressure, you're not a young man anymore. You need to schedule the colonoscopy, do all the things. I imagine you come in and they're like, yeah, no, you're, you're fine. You're awesome. In <laughs> fact, awesome. let's, let's take a picture of you and I'm going to tell other people to do this. Cause I mean, do do you have any medical concerns that are unique to ultra marathoners uh, that are different than fat slobs? Uh, 
No, not really. To be honest, it's more just like uh, my feet get pretty beat up sometimes after a hundred mile race. Go, mm-hmm. go figure. But um, to be honest, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Um, so knees, hips, shoulder, like your your joints, your joint systems, all of that's in good shape. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it can be hard on the body for sure. Running is a high impact sport. You know, right. Every time your foot hits the yeah, ground, it's two and a half to three times your body weight, your your tendons, your your muscles have to take that load. Um, but I I think one thing for the how I approach, it, I mix in quite a bit of uh, biking and hiking and other sports. So I don't I don't just run every day. A lot of people are actually surprised when they ask about my training, and I I actually don't run a whole lot each week. It's a uh, kind of split between biking and running so is there a signature event in montana that uh, that is the event of the year for for ultra marathon runs is there something like this or do you have to travel the elkhorn endurance run no. okay <laughs> um i say that uh that's a backyard race here backyard ultra and uh, i'm going to be helping co-direct that this year so uh it is a classic race um uh, but yeah, I mean, there's tons of classic, uh, trail races in Montana. Uh, one of the first trail races I did was the old Gabe, uh, 50k over in Bozeman and that's, a in the Bridger mountains. And that's a classic, uh, really good climbing, just low key Montana race. Um, geez. I mean, you got obviously the don't fence me in race in our backyard, which is a classic, it's a shorter distance race, but mm-hmm. I mean, there's just, there's events all over the place and, for such a large state like Montana, it's a great way to kind of connect with the community, um, you know, all throughout. Yeah, everyone shows up. So, and is that community the the same? I mean, when you go to a race, if it's if it's in the northern part of the state or the southern part of the state, are you seeing the same people? Yes and no. I mean, there's some people that gravitate towards like the shorter races, trail races, um, and then some that like the ultra, the longer stuff. But um, there's quite a, I think Montanans are pretty diverse. They like to jump into anything, I feel like. So I see a lot of uh, trail runners at ski races in the winter and things like that. So, yeah. Can you hang out with regular people? Um, I mean, I mean, can, <laughs> define regular. Well, yeah. I mean, somebody who's not doing because I'm I'm fascinated yeah. by by the life you're living and the way it's got to be all encompassing because you can't you I know people that have just made up their minds I'm gonna run a marathon for instance and they put in a couple of months and they and they work their way through it you can do it you know you can do it I at one point I think I I ran like a, a nine mile day just for fun I got up I'm like I'm just gonna keep going. See how yeah. far I can go. Yeah. And it was all at once, and I ran nine miles. I'm like, oh. And I could have kept going. And so I know you can do it. You can't just wake up and go, hell with it. I'm going to do the 100. That's not possible. I mean, it's got to take an amazing amount of dedication, and I would imagine a lot of time and focus so that, you know, if you've got somebody who's like, hey, man, want to go to Taco Bell? You're like, no, I don't want to go to Taco Bell. I'm <laughs> like a super competitive athlete, you moron. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I imagine that's got to kind of dictate your social circles a little bit. A bit. I mean, it's it's definitely a big part of my life, you know, and uh, I think it's come with some maybe. I don't know if I want to say sacrifices, but I mean, when you when you are, uh, yeah, training for some of these events, it it does take some time to get out there and prepare. Not a lot um, of bar crawls, probably. Bar, yeah, I do like a, a good IPA here and there, <laughs> but. Um, but yeah, no, I, I have a lot of friends that are pretty active as well, you know, and they active in different ways, you sure. know. But uh, yeah. I think you you have to be flexible and adapt as well. So it is intriguing because you know Mike's got the curiosity because as as you said you you run and a little yeah, bit you've ran. To, I, I, don't, I don't like saying comparatively I, a little I can, bit. I can say but I run to you. I, I can't say, say I run to comparative him. Comparative to me, yeah. right? And plus, <laughs> I I I not only you know it's just it's just 
it's an alien world to me like the um the ability the ability to to get through all of those discomforts i talked about earlier is one thing but uh i just it's, it's never been something that's in my family and my brother started to run with his family and yeah. uh, in my my uh my niece is a uh a triathlete who's uh you know she went to school on a scholarship oh, for wow. triathlon and and to have that i looked at him like he was an alien like where did that start? Like where did our family have an interest in running? So it is a different world to a lot of people. So like when Mike asks you about hanging out with normal people, that's kind of the thing. Like other people look at you like you are crazy. This yeah. is something that I can't even imagine doing. Well, and I and I flip it back, and I I tell people that tell say I'm crazy for doing hundreds. I'm like you're crazy for 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 not I don't know trying or for just, eating a cheeseburger without thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, but you know there's a there's a lot more there. I think yeah, a lot of people. Um, again, once you can wrap your head around it, it's like oh yeah, yeah, I, I I could do this. How do you get people there? Because you are a coach. Yeah, and you you have people coming to you with with goals and things they haven't necessarily attained. Is it? First the physical and then the mental. Is it first? Or are you trying to do them simultaneously? Because like if I came to you right now and said, "All right, here's the deal. I want to do an ultra." Yeah, I'm a long way away. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. How, how do you? How, what's step one? I, you know, definitely the psychological piece. I think is huge. Um, the more I've gotten in, the longer I've been a coach. It's more about like, why are we doing this? What does this mean to you? Right. You know. So really peeling back the layers as to like who has this goal, right? Because a lot of it does come down to, you know, identity and is, are we trying to improve uh, our, our rank of, of, of some sort there with, with setting these big goals and things like this. So really kind of stripping back uh, the reason why an athlete wants to pursue this. And I think once an athlete has a clear understanding of, you know, why they do want to do it, and that, that can evolve obviously over time, then we can start to talk about, you know, the, taking steps and and creating ultimately a lifestyle because that's definitely my approach is you know as counterintuitive as it may sound as a coach i try and steer away from the plan and have athletes be more curious more uh, yeah just uh, wanting to get out and explore more and not have it be something that turns into like a chore like they have to go run like uh, it's something i want them to do now, did, were you self-taught or did you have a coach um i've had coaches before i've always kind of that hasn't really lasted too long. Yeah. And again, I think it goes back to that curiosity, like in just feeling my body and what it really wants to do and not really on any given day uh, feeling like I have to do this because once I have to do something, then it becomes more of a chore and it becomes more of a forced process that over time doesn't really become too enjoyable. That, that's part of the um, turning something you, you love, turning a pastime, turning an activity into something that is your life and that becomes the, the, you know, your way of life, uh, the way you make a living. And what point did you do that? And, and how did you find a way to carve out, like, how, what am I going to do in this world that keeps me, you know, gives me a job and, and allows me to have a, you know, to, 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 with my family. How, how did you decide to do that? And when did you do it? Endurance coaching in yeah. general. Yeah. 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 I mean, I've always been, you know, just growing up, just passionate about movement and just, being super active. Uh, Did you have a normal job at one point and then went, you know what? I'm going to go with this instead. Not really, actually. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I was going to school at University of Montana. I actually had a roommate that um, uh, he was coaching part-time. Like he was just like coaching some triathletes. I, I raced at the uh, University of Montana on the triathlon team there. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. 
and I was studying exercise science, I was kind of going down the path of maybe being a, uh, wanted to be a physical therapist. Mm. And I did a few interns uh, in physical therapy and I just wasn't really super interested. I just didn't like it. <laughs> and so the more I started chatting with my roommate, uh, Elliot Bassett is his name. <clears throat> um, I was like, man, endurance coaching. He's like, yeah, I, this is something I want to do full time. I was like, what do you mean? Full, full time coach? Like that's a thing. And so I got you know, curious about it and started to kind of, I was like, well, I'm getting my exercise science degree and I can leverage, you know, use that. And so I just, yeah, started coaching athletes for free and, you know, it was, it, it wasn't like a, a, yeah, I had to carve out my own path. Uh, the the I, beauty of it is you don't have to get hired by a team. You don't have to, uh, <laughs> you know, move if you're already living somewhere where you can do this. So it's basically, it's a private enterprise. Yeah, so I do. It's uh, remote work, which is interesting because I'm ta- I build up relationships with athletes that live all over the world. Mm. Um, I do do contract work with a company out of Colorado Springs, and so the, the athletes that I that I work with, I'm really lucky to work with some amazing people. I mean, I have athletes in Sweden, you know, uh, Asia, all over nooks and crannies that I never thought I'd be working with individuals from these countries. So it's really kind of neat to to just have like. Yeah, athletes from all over to, to work with. One of the other things I know I read in your bio from your time in Missoula that you didn't mind being a lab rat uh, in, in your time there. What does that mean? Lab rat, yeah. 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 Um, well, yeah, going to school there, they, we had a uh, physiology lab there. We did a lot of uh, different types of testing with athletes. We had a heat chamber, um, uh, and then we did a lot of like muscle biopsies, like uh, just to see what's going on at the, at the muscle. And so we had a lot of uh, studies that were funded and so they needed participants to, to, to get poked and prodded and all this. And, and I was the first one, you know, to raise my hand for that. And, uh, yeah, it's just cool just to, to get in there and, uh, do, you know, usually it was a couple week study and they'd take some muscle biopsies and you do some, uh, some efforts on the indoor bike and running and things like that. So how much does that inform your own training? Because now you kind of have this backstage access to this info about you yeah. specifically because you were in the lab and do you get to see the results? Oh yeah. 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 No, I mean, a lot of it's interesting just like on, you know, energy expenditure and just like recovery, uh, how quickly you can recover things like this. So I think when you have, when you're actually like looking at a muscle biopsy and what's happening at the, at the cellular level, it's pretty interesting. And so I do bring up a lot of those studies with my athletes and they're like, Oh wow. Okay. You know? And so and, and especially to be actually a part of the study, I think, is a really neat part of it all, too. Yeah. And it's got to inform your own training because, you know, I mean, uh, that was uh, it occurred to me like, this is a competitive thing. But are you competing with the other people? Are you competing with yourself? And it, it's probably both. You know, so all that information is going to feed, you know, inform your training, I would imagine, and your and your goals. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's, I mean, and, and with ultra running, there's like, it's still, there's not a ton of research still. Like there's, there's a lot more to be discovered in, in the, in the sport of ultra running. A lot of the, the research is come from like road running and like marathon, things like this. It's just go figure. It's harder to find subjects that uh, want to be poked and prodded for 24 <laughs> plus hours. You know, mm-hmm. it's a little easier to do it over the shorter distances. So, Well, this is a, you know, that's a perfect example of uh, athletics. Now our science and, and this goes to uh, professional football players and what doesn't matter the sport, but in your particular instance, you're also, testing kind of the limits of the human body and how much interest uh, do you have in like pushing that and pushing that and seeing just how how far can somebody go is is that part of the science and part of what you're interested in 
Yeah, it's kind of evolved for sure. I think when I first got into the sport, I was really, really interested and curious about like, yeah, that concept of like how far can you go? And um, just always been fascinated about what the human body can do. You know, when you really think about it, it's like, wow, like, you know, we're, we are meant and designed to expend an enormous amount of energy, you know, tons of energy. You know, we're not meant to, I know we're all sitting right now, but you know, we're, we're not really, our bodies are not meant to, to be sitting a lot throughout the day. We're meant to be moving and, and, uh, and uh, seeing new things throughout the day. And so that, that part really fascinates me still to this day is like the energy expenditure. And like, I look at that as really like a celebration of the human body. Like we can do this. We can, we can expend this much energy. Let's, let's go see some cool parts of the world and researchers are doing this in 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 like longevity looking at how long can we actually live so it's kind of in that that scientific area of just exactly what our bodies can take but the the thing that where i go to the evolving piece is that um you know it comes a point where what are we what are we asking of our bodies what you know we yes we can do a lot we can go far we can expend a lot of energy but what's the cost Meaning, you know, again, talking about sustainability, um, are we, is it, is that, are we being kind to our bodies when we, (laughs) when we ask, uh, you know, to run a hundred miles and things like this. And, and that, and that is extreme, you know, it is running a hundred miles is not necessarily kind to the body. Um, I think preparing well can help that for sure. Uh, and that's kind of where I come in with my coaching is to hopefully prepare athletes so that they're, you know, they're not obviously causing any injury or things like this they finish the race and they can you know be there for their family and get back to work the the following week do you Uh, cross over to any other athletics is it strictly endurance uh you know mostly endurance yeah i I even like uh as a kid i was you know i tried the team sports stuff i was always a solo like wrestling you know things like that was just uh i gravitated towards the solo sports where it was just like it was kind of up to me to to get things done figure it out yeah figure it out yeah well i just wonder how much this knowledge would inform somebody who was training for football or baseball or something like that because i've got to believe just scientifically speaking you've learned and know so much about what's possible and that's got to have other uses that's got to have other spider webs into different avenues of athletics oh 100 a lot of the research i i do on the side is actually looking into other sports as well because in the sport of ultra running, I find I can learn a lot from sports like cycling or swimming or even football and these other sports. So I, I do find that I, yeah, looking at other sports, uh, I can learn a ton uh, from how they approach their sport and uh, both from the psychological and the physical side thing of things. When you're yeah. training and when you're uh, getting ready for these runs, because I'm looking at the list of some runs you've been on, they're all over the map. Um how much, you know, when we are talking about this and about uh, all these, these aspects of the human body, it brought to mind when I, I lived in Colorado um, in the mid to late 90s. And one of the things that happened, I lived around the Vale area. One of the things that happened up there is the Dallas Stars hockey team would come up there for spring training or for, well, their training, their preseason. And the reason they, the reason they had camp there is because of the elevation and, and the altitude. So the altitude would, would give them an opportunity to get in shape and and when they went back to play hockey at sea level it was a um, they were much more they had much more endurance than their opponents that was the idea behind it as you get ready for each race how much do the conditions and the location work into how you prepare for them yeah i mean look that's huge the the first thing i'll look at when an athlete comes to me 
for coaching is their event. What are the, what are the demands of that event? Mm -hmm. Like, what are you up against? Is it going to be a hot and humid uh, environment? Is it going to be at altitude? Is it going to be muddy, rooty, rocky? So that's the fun part about actually working with athletes training for an ultra marathon is just so many little pieces that go into it. Um, it's not just a longer marathon, which a lot of people think it's like, oh, you just go out and run more. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the, the environment is huge. Um, I've coached uh, an athlete through the Badwater 135 mile race in Death Valley. And so it's in July. And Death oh. Valley is one of the hottest uh, places in the country. I don't even want to drive through it. Yeah, 120 plus degrees. And oh. so she lives in actually Cayman Island. So she has that heat, that, that element. And that's right. actually obviously a big strength of hers is, is running in the heat. Um, uh, but no, and everyone's different. I coach athletes in New York City that are training for uh, mountainous races. Mm -hmm. So then you have the opposite. You have an athlete that lives in the city without mountains. Now, how do you prepare them for a mountainous race? So it, yeah, you have to kind of be creative and think outside the box for sure. You have to put something over their face. So they're, I mean, they're breathing. How do you, how do you prepare somebody to go to, to, uh, to like say Colorado 11,000 feet? Yeah. From like a flatland. Or yeah. 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 Um, I mean, there's a lot of different things. I mean, obviously just general fitness is still, going to help no matter what. So I just focus on really trying to get the athlete really fit. And so even if that's just running on more flat terrain, um, I'll have athletes do some repeats up some, uh, stairs, which for <laughs> some it's, uh, fun to do, but most it's kind of, yeah, quite hard going up like giant flights of stairs, uh, uh, for repeats and things like that. And then, um, uh, strength training is a big piece of my coaching as well. Um, so I'll have athletes that don't have access to hills like we do in Helena, uh, do quite a bit of strength work in the gym. So yeah. now I've got to believe nutrition's a key piece of this, but are you spending so much in terms of calories that you can just drink gravy and eat ice cream and it doesn't matter? Or do you, or you have just a super unfun diet? <laughs> yeah. Um, well that, yeah, has again, evolved with that as well. But when I first got into the sport, that's kind of my mentality was just like, um, you know, running every day, I'm doing these big hundred mile races. I can kind of eat whatever I want. And, and, uh, that didn't really work too well. Um, <laughs> this ended up having quite a bit of GI distress in a lot of the races. And so nutrition is so important. That sounds bad. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's yeah. not fun. No, GI distress in the midst of a hundred mile run. Well, it's actually that, one of the number one, uh, reasons for a DNF and, and ultra running is like my stomach it has gone and I can't eat and I'm, you know, so, so that's actually a big area. Uh, my athletes will know quite a bit. I'm constantly asking them, Hey, how'd you fuel on that run? What'd you do? What'd you take in? How much, you know, fluid are you taking in? Uh, things like that. So, because if you put in the work, you get really fit, but then all of a sudden it's like something that comes up nutritionally, it's kind of a bummer. So, right. um, yeah. So nutrition's a really big piece. Do you monitor that year round or do you cycle in and out of that as you're preparing for events? Yeah, it kind of ebbs and flows depending on the demand of the workload and what the athlete's getting uh, getting into. If they're doing high-intensity work, that tend to shift their eating more carbohydrates in general to fuel that. And then as the intensity gets a little bit lower, we can be a little more flexible with uh, uh, fueling and uh, cut back some on the carbohydrates. So it's definitely very much so a periodized approach. Yeah. If so. The, uh, it, so you mentioned that, you know, I wouldn't think of that as a, a – yeah. As, as part of the um, the whole thing, once you get in great shape, 
I would assume that you're going to be able to do this run and that's it. Like now, yeah, I can run a hundred miles. It's over with, but what other like unthought of things, things that, that people have never done this would not know that you have to be up against when you're on a long and really long hundred mile race. Yeah. I mean, the big one is just like, obviously you do everything you can in training to get really fit and minimize the odds of a low patch or a <laughs> point in the events where you're like, Oh my God, I don't know how I'm going to get through it, but there's, there's a very good chance that that's still going to happen. Mm-hmm. So I definitely like to plant that seed with the athletes, even when they're as fit as they think they could possibly get. It's like, there's a very, very, very good chance that you're going to get the piano is going to fall on the, on the back at some point. And how are we going to deal with that? So again, that goes back to, I think one of your first questions about like the psychological piece and mm-hmm. like the discomfort is like, okay, how do we troubleshoot when, yeah, your brain is telling you like, you got to stop, like this is too much. And so that's kind of the fascinating piece is, yeah, you get really fit, you put in the work and then like, how do we troubleshoot these, these periods where it's just like, there's just no way we can go any further. So then you got all those variables of being outside with environmental stuff that you don't see occurring. It's going to rain. It's going to get slick. It's going to change in the, in the environment you're in. And yeah. And, and that's out of, outside of our control. We can't right. control the weather. So a lot of it comes down to what's in our control, what's outside our control. Expect you know, anything. Yeah. Be really, ready for anything. Be ready for anything, you know, because if they think if you have the expectations, I put in the work, you know, I'm super fit. And then what happens if something comes up? But hey, hey, this isn't fair. I'm super fit and this shouldn't be happening. Well, it's almost like the survival shows that I've watched where it's real survival show, like the one that's lost where they leave them out in the, alone in the wilderness forever. You know, these people can be so prepared and then have something completely unexpected come up. But you have to expect everything. If you, you know, you have to prepare for things that you're not ready for in order to overcome that. Yeah. And the athletes I find that do the best in those situations, they don't, I call it, they don't hit the panic button. You know, they, they keep kind of cool and calm in those situations and they, they don't, they don't cling on to that strong emotion, whatever's coming up, and they're able to kind of work through it, and then they feel really good, and they're cruising along after. But once you hit that panic button, oh, my God, my, <laughs> I can't eat anything or whatever happened. I went off course. That's a big one. If you go off course. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, mentally, right? If you're in a 100-mile race and you, you know, halfway through, you, you get off track. That's kind. Of, that's a mental blow there, right? Now it's 115-mile yeah, race. Yeah, exactly. Now you got to get back on track. So. Oh. Yeah, it's, it's so much of it is mental because you can, again, you can only train so much for these long events, right? You're not going to go out and do a 100-mile run every weekend or, you know, it's – so it comes a point where you can only – your body can only take on so much training and then the rest of it's going to be that mental uh, flexibility, yeah. Yeah, see, I did a thing year – I mean, this is a million years ago. I was probably 25 or 26. It was an MS-150. So it's a okay. road, it's road race, ro- road bicycles. Oh, and nice. you do 75 miles, and then we went to a college campus, and you stay in the dorm, and then the next day you do 75 miles back into town. And the, the first day, I was like, after about 10, 15 miles, and I'd been riding a bunch. I didn't have anybody like you, I wish I had, to kind of like, all right, there's some things that are going to come up. I was just, I don't know, you pedal, I guess. You pedal yeah. a lot all day. And I got going. The first day was nice. Weather was good. I'm like, all right. You know, you gear way up on those road bikes and you can just crank. And then the next morning you wake up, you're like, all right, here we go. It's going to be a big accomplishment. And it was, it was raining a little bit and there was a headwind. And the first hour was like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this again? Like I felt so good yesterday and it was all gone in 60 minutes. All of that accomplishment, all of the good positive, like, this is great. I can totally do this. Uh Look at me. And then I'm like, 
this sucks, and I hate everything, and I'm cold, and this shirt's not waterproof, and everything in my life is stupid, and I don't have gloves, and you know, and, and you know the weather's gonna break, and it's gonna be fine, and I, I did, I finished it, okay, but man, I that part of it is legit because you get out there and. It's one thing to train and have this goal in mind, but then you get there and what if it's miserable? And, you know, how you turn that, how you can find a way to, to not only deal with it and cope with it, but turn it to your advantage has got to be just right an enormous responsibility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, it goes back to just like why, yeah, why are you doing it to begin with, you know? Is there a good answer for that, by the way? Like why if, are you if doing somebody this? came in and you're like, why are you doing this? And they told you, you're like, get out of my office. <laughs> <laughs> that's unacceptable. That's, that's not nice. a good. That's not a good reason to do this. No, I mean everyone's got their own reason, you know. Like, yeah, uh, uh, I don't know. What do you What do you value? Like, well, how does how do your values tie into this objective and this goal that you have? You know, and I find when there's a disconnect there, when you are in a in a low patch, when right. you are when vulnerability is right there front and center, it's harder to deal with it if you don't really know why you're there, right? And so mentally, you're going to get a little more shooken up there in those situations so um and then they have a good reason and then everybody else thinks they're crazy so they call you and like my whole family everybody i know thinks i'm nuts but i'm gonna do this yeah that's that's got to be the moment you got to know they're serious at that point yeah but there, again there's a lot of digging into as a coach like you know yeah i have a lot of athletes hey i want to do this 200 mile foot race here in you know three three months you know, and it's like what, what, three months. Okay. How much are you running? You know? And it's like, maybe they're only running 20 miles a week or whatever. And so, so why do you really want to do this? You're not really kind of, you know, we can, right. we got some work to do here. And so, um, so no, it's there's, yeah, I think I've actually talked to a lot of athletes. I wouldn't say off the ledge, but mm-hmm. just had them kind of pause and think about why they are doing it. And like, you know what? I don't know if I really do want to do this. I think it was really more tied to ego and my identity and wanting to improve my rank of some sort. I think maybe I kind of want to do something a little shorter. Right. And that's kind of cool too. And maybe maybe over the years I evolve and change and want to do a longer race. And yeah. Scott brings up an interesting point. How, how hard is it to tune out? Because like I'm amazed at what you can do. From a respect standpoint, but there are plenty of people out there. What's stupid? What are you doing with your athletes? Do you have to train them to tune out the other people who are just not going to get this thing that they're doing at all? Um, you know, is that a, is that a part of the challenge? Because uh, I got to believe, like I hear everybody, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, it, and it'll drive me crazy. Somebody, oh, that's stupid. Well, you're stupid, and then I'll obsess on it for a week. Yeah, right, right. Um, that doesn't really. I mean, yeah, you're going to have people that are you know, going to be like, you're, you're, you know, again, the typical, you're crazy. I, how right. do you do this? That's not healthy or blah, blah, blah. And it, you know, you can take it or leave it. I mean, you just, yeah, you can give it a voice. You can kind of, do you feel the need to educate those people that there is a, there is a healthy way to do this, that it's not just some sort of weird sort of self-torture? Yeah, no, I do actually. Yeah, for sure. I think, yeah, there's a lot of misconception and people think you're just out there torturing yourself. Just a masochist. And, yeah. It's a masochist kind of thing. And why would you do that? And yeah, I think there's there is a there is a way to train for tough you know endurance events in a way that's kind to your body. I really there's a, and unfortunately, the ultra running space there is this kind of movement of kind of you know using willpower and kind of grinding your way through, not just the event but the process itself. Thanks for nothing, Cam. Yeah, <laughs> and keep so, pounding. Yeah, keep getting out there. And so I've actually I, when I first got into coaching, I was I was kind of in that camp. I was like, all right, let's get on, let's crack on, let's get going. And I've shifted away towards from that uh, willpower approach, if you will. And uh, 
it's been fascinating to see again when you put your health your well-being front and center even though you're training for these hard grueling events what you can do right because you're going to be more apt to tune in with your body and not ignore it and just keep pushing which eventually your body's going to be like hey wait a minute what the heck I don't want to do this. After coaching other people and seeing the, I'm sure the varied type of people that that you've coached over the years, are you still surprised by people? Do people, I'm sure you've been surprised by your own body and things you've, you've overcome, but are you surprised a lot by the people you're coaching? Uh, Every day. Yeah. I mean, uh, not just surprised. I mean, I would say inspired Mm -hmm. too, you know, just with what they can do. You know, uh, I coach, all kinds of athletes. I, I coach professional athletes that do it for a living. That's all they do is they, you know, they're, they're recovering, they're training, they're, they're traveling all around the world, uh, trying to compete at some of the biggest trail races. And then I have athletes that are working 70 hours a week, you know, and they're, uh, and they're trying to put in the training for a hundred mile foot race. And so, yeah, there's just so much that you're up against, you know, trying to fit in the training and just to see athletes, how they kind of work through that. Um, and the big thing I coach my athletes on is being flexible, right? Once we become rigid to a training plan, then again, it, go, it goes back to that, uh, this isn't really that fun. This is kind of a, this is a chore, mm-hmm. right? So how do we adapt the training to our life and other things that we have going on? And I think that's what leads to, a, again, a lifestyle and something hopefully that's sustainable. Can you sit yeah. still in your spare time? Not really, you know, t- no, I can't. Um, I, yeah, really, I think my limit in front of a computer is like two to three hours, and then I got to get up and go. Yeah, I'm I'm constantly moving, for Cause, sure. Because I assume you have a resting heart rate around like six, so... Um, you know, <laughs> I'd be like, dead. No. Uh, but that occurs to me that anybody that is kind of mentally, you've built this thing where doing these things is normal it's not only normal, it's beneficial and you feel good about it and it's a big part of who you are that sitting in a chair or sitting on a couch or Netflix and chilling your way through an afternoon, probably not. No, I mean, I, you know, I, my friends, I don't know if they make fun of me, but like, but yeah, I I literally can't sit through a movie. Like, I I don't think, I I don't remember the last time I actually watched a a full movie. It's been 20 years, seriously. Right. Um, (laughs) I, I just, I can't sit still. I got to gotta get up and go. And, you know, we've got two dogs and we're getting out, walking them and running them a lot. And just, yeah, I just enjoy just moving. That is so funny. So it, the minute you walked in, so I've got a friend of mine who I've known since uh, since about fifth grade. He's my best friend in the world. Yeah. Uh, 26-year Army vet. He's also very much into road races. Uh, I don't think he doesn't do 100-mile stuff. Okay. But he always is. I mean, he's just constant go, go, go. I mean, it. and when you walked in, you could be brothers. I mean, your mannerism, it was it's insane. So when you started to talk about that aspect, he's exactly the same way. Yeah. And I thought, and he's also a little bit older than you, and I thought, uh, are you familiar with your family? Because this guy, <laughs> I'm telling you right now, you guys could be related. Yeah, and yeah. I've known this guy for my whole life. I mean, we're like brothers. And so it's, it's interesting because uh, the personality type to me, is is extremely similar and he has much the same mentality huh and i find that really interesting then and uh and and i thought man are all these uh, all these guys like this alike uh, can you tell when you when you see somebody like that's the kind of person who does these things yeah yeah well I, like i said i think movement for a lot of people is medicine you know and i think for me just being able to move like when you move and you engage in movement you actually access different regions of your brain so uh I find that just kind of short bouts of movement throughout the day kind of allows me to access more of my body. <laughs> so, 
Has your research given you a horizon on a career for an ultra marathoner? I mean, can you look at it and go, okay, you can do this from age this to age that? Is it like other sports in that regard? Or do you think, no, I'm going to be the guy at 85. 85. I'll see you on the trail. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, you know, the approach. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I think you, there's, I've coached athletes in their 70s through really? 100, 100 milers. Yeah. The in their 70s? 70s, yeah. I'm getting worse by the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you feel like a pile of butter wow. over here in this chair. Yeah. No, I think you, you can, yeah, if you approach it the right way and again, you're kind to yourself and you listen to your body. What and, does that mean? That's a good, I mean, it's a great phrase, but when you say be kind to yourself, what do you, like, is that positive affirmations in the mirror? What are we talking about? Yeah. Just, I mean, you know, not beating yourself up, you know, we all have this like inner critic, right. And is it, is it negative? Is there negativity there? And so I think just, yeah, being kind to yourself, like it could be one of these things where it's like, you just don't you feel tired, go figure, you know, training right. and, and moving on a daily basis, you build up some fatigue and yeah, maybe part of you is like, get out there. Kind of, again, that kind of grinding mentality, get it done. And then there's part of you that is just like, you know what, you've been working really hard. Uh, you know, you're demanding a lot of your body. Let's, let's take some time to just kind of regenerate and, re- and recover. And a lot of people think that's like weakness, but again, if we think big picture, that's actually, I think, a good way for sustainability in the sport of makes sense. of running. So you're going to be more apt to to stay in it for the long haul with that approach. Yeah, I was just imagining yeah. somebody going, "How can you do that to your body while they uh, down another two liter Mountain Dew?" Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sugar. It's just a different way of treating it, and being kind to yourself has something to do with that as well. Yeah, well, I mean, everyone's got their own approach. I mean, you know, some people have to negotiate with themselves. You know, I know I have some athletes that though for their long runs. They'll find, you know, their favorite sandwich shop to run to, right? You know, instead of making it, again, this, like, I've got to do this, it's like, how, how, how can we make it fun, you know? So that's also another part of, of being kind to yourself is just, you know, if it's not fun, then why, why are you out there doing it? So, Do you have anything in your non-training cycle that is kind of your, like, indulgence? Non-training. That you know, do you get a, a gallon of ice cream? Is oh. there a, is there a sandwich shop that you know John has to get to? Like, all right, we did the hundred miler. Now I get to indulge in this thing right. because it's got to be a beer at the end, right? Beer. I mean, <laughs> beer's good. Yeah, cold like Blackfoot IPA is kind of hard to hard to beat after a run in the hopefully not smoky. Uh, Ooh, yeah, man, yeah, from your lips to God's ears. Like, yeah, 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 it's been yeah. we've been getting some moisture. Don't but, mind uh, the rain and snow when it means that we won't be on fire. Yeah, no, I think just getting together with friends for yeah, like a, a beer and you know so, uh, some French fries and a burger sounds pretty good after a good day out. So most people would just call that lunch, John. Lunch, <laughs> right, 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 yeah, lunch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, no, wow, but, I just ran over a mountain. I'm gonna have lunch. Yeah, yeah. No, you can build up an appetite, but. Uh, yeah, my favorite is uh, I go over to Europe. Uh, it's been a trend over the last couple of years for the Ultra Trail du Mont Blanc, which is a big race in uh, the Alps there. And just going over there and just being immersed in the mountain culture there, but also the food, like the cheese and the baguettes yeah. and the coffee. And it's like, so yeah, my favorite thing is to go to the Alps and run up mountains and eat cheese and, and bread. That's the... <laughs> That's an awesome answer to that yeah, question, yeah. by so the that, way. That's, yeah. that's, that's way better. Oh, you know, I like the taco place. Right. The taco, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's some uh, there's some 
there's so much about overcoming your own your own stuff with with the, all these races you do but there's it's also a race is there is there like a michael jordan of these things is there somebody who out there who wins way more than their share who's just dominant in these are there all-time greats or is this a fairly new sport where everybody's kind of racing their own race uh are their household names yeah no i mean it's the sport's growing big time you know i think you know, again, going back to the challenge, you know, wanting to challenge yourself in, in different ways and, you know, and also just getting out and seeing some beautiful country. So the sport's just absolutely taken off over the last couple of years here, and it's only going to continue to, to grow. Um, yeah, there's definitely some big names out there. A couple that come to mind. Uh, first is actually a female athlete, Courtney DeWalter. And the, the, the female uh, endurance athletes are just knocking it out of the park. You know, they are. They're competing with the men out there. And it's really, really exciting to see that. And so she just did a race over in Madeira Island, uh, Madeira Island Ultra Trail. And it's got a ton of vertical gain and loss, super tough conditions. And I want to say she was 10th overall. She's she's been top ten at that race I just mentioned the UTMB. So she's really challenging the top male ultra runners out there, and really pushing the envelope. And I think hopefully you know, yeah, inspiring other female athletes to get out there and see what they can do as well. So yeah, Courtney Walter comes uh, DeWalter That's comes great. to mind. Yeah, um, yeah. And then there's a Frenchman uh, Francois Dane actually, and uh, he's he's been. Um, yeah, kind of on top of the the more of the mountain ultra uh, races as of late. Are you encouraged by the growth of the sport, or would you rather have it to yourself? No, I mean it's yeah, it's you know getting into the sport, especially here in Montana. You know, I brought up old Gabe, and I remember that race. You know, pulling up to the parking lot the night before, camping in my car. You know, getting up to the birds and uh, just a low key kind of atmosphere. So, I mean, I I, I definitely. You know, I think there'll definitely still be those low-key events, but it's just cool to see people out there moving their bodies and having fun and and realizing that, wow, I can go up to that mountaintop and I can, like, do some things that maybe I didn't think I could do. So, no, to see more people outside enjoying nature and I think that's only positive. Well, this yeah. is such a small percentage of the population that does this. It's got to be it's got to be nice to be around like-minded people. Oh, yeah. And, you know, everyone's got a story to tell, too, you know. Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know, when you're out there, I don't know if you want to call it suffering, but, you know, there's there's some elements. Oh, I call it suffering. There's some elements of discomfort (laughs) there, you know, to share in that experience with other people, I think, is what really brings that connection as well. So, yeah, that's that's a really fun part about it. And if somebody's hearing you and they're moderately they're not, you know, morbidly obese or something like that. And they're like, okay, I want to do this. If you were to take them, if they were to take your training. How long does it take to go from they come in the door and say, hi, John, I want to do this. Here's why I want to do it to doing it reasonably. What's a time horizon from which is starting from scratch? Yeah. No background yeah. in endurance. Sport. I walk in the door. Yeah. Looking like I look. Average yeah, yeah. everyday jogger. Right. Yeah. And, and, and what does what does and and to do 100 miles, 100 miles for yeah. a race? OK. Yeah. Yeah. Is that yeah. six months? Is that a year? Is it two years? What is it? I mean, it's, you know, again, if you're, if you're in it for the long haul and you really have that kind of like a lifestyle approach, I think the longer, the better, you know, uh, before you try it, before you try it, there's right. no, what, why, why rush? You know what I mean? Like, what, that what is if, an excellent question. What do that, we get? That's if a we, great point. If we have to do it in four months and we haven't run it all, you know? Right. And so again, that goes back into that. When I po- peel back the layers, when I'm talking with an athlete about their goals, it's like, okay, you're running 20 miles right now and you want to do a hundred mile race in three months. Like, 
why three months? Why not do it in a year from now? Why not Why not engage in a, in a meaningful process that's exciting and prepare your body so that it's resilient, durable, and ready to take on the challenge? So I think Light I would bulb. say, yeah, <laughs> I would say longer the better. For, set yourself up for success. Yeah, and, and again, if it's if it's about the lifestyle and, and getting out there, you know, and enjoying the process, then then why why rush it? So I have an athlete I'm coaching from Florida who came to me with that, and I almost did a backflip. I, I can't do a backflip, but if I could, I would. <laughs> and he was just like, "Yeah, I want to do a hundred mile foot race, but there's no rush." however long you feel like it takes for me to build up to this, let's, I want to do it well. I want to, you know, have health front and center. I don't want to beat my body up. And it's just been such a joy working with this athlete because he's really in it for the, for the process, not just the, the finish. Are you, you still know? taking people on or are you, is, are you full? I'm pretty full. Yeah. I've, I've gotten, unfortunately, I want to start working with some more local athletes here in Montana, but I'm just, you know, quite full. Yeah. So at this point, I mean, I'm, I'm more than happy to answer questions if people have questions, you know, locally here in, in Montana, but pretty is, full to the brim. Is there a good place for people to go that are looking for resources on, on learning about this and, and learning about the training that you could, you know, that people should start to do the reading, do the do the background? Just the background and getting into the sport of ultra yeah, running? Yeah, just kind of figuring out whether it's for them. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of resources out there. Um, actually, a mentor of mine, Jason Coop, uh, just came out with his second edition of his book, Training Essentials for Ultra Running. So that that's there's a lot in, that's in that book. It's a pretty dense book, but that, that right. could be a good uh, place to kind of dive in and, and just learn more about the physiology, the mental side of things, and just kind of, yeah, how to, how to train for, for an ultra. And we'll um, include that in the show notes. Great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You send people that, to that one. Okay. Um, I'm not really a big social media person, to be honest. I can't imagine you can be when you're yeah, running you're, for a hundred miles in a row all the in the woods. Um, so I, I don't, you know, I don't have like a, a website. I'm, I'm working to maybe get together kind of a bit of a website, some, some video content and stuff like that here soon. But, um, but yeah, I would say that would be a good place to start, uh, Very cool. training essentials. Yeah. Well, John, man, uh, really appreciate you coming in. Yeah. You, you, you live a in really fascinating life. To me, like what you guys do and, and the way you do it. And I know, you know, I, I got referenced to you by a buddy of mine who, who dabbles in this himself. And yeah. I've been on the trail with him and it's infuriating because yeah. he's 10 years younger than me and uh, a lot faster. He's never out of breath. And I almost <laughs> always am when I'm with Brian. Yeah. I'm always out of wind. Like, hang on a second. Wait up. And he's yeah. like, yeah. oh, I didn't realize I left you a mile ago. Uh, so, That's funny. So, yeah. Well, um, keep getting out there yourselves. You know, I, you mentioned hunting. And oh, I think, yeah hunting as well oh yeah 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 yeah. i, I, I don't that's a, awesome man the the mental part of this your approach to it that's, that's enlightening because so much of it i'm in and i'm like okay i could be doing something else it's actually, this this hurts and i'm sore and my hip hurts and i'm old and this is stupid and what yeah. am i doing um you know getting getting past all of those voices in your head you take that to a whole other plane yeah but hunting's a great segue into like i actually have an athlete i coach who's a big time hunter and a big part of his training is hunting He's out. He hunts mountain lions. He hunts. He's out there with the hounds hunting mountain lions oh, yeah. and, out, and you name it. But some of those days, he's out there all day moving around with a heavy pack. You know. And yeah. So, and if he's after lions, he's in thigh deep snow. Yeah, you know? he's in exactly. deep snow. So, That's no joke. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, you, you know, if you're, hey, maybe you could just again look at your hunting as I'm training for a trail race too, if you wanted to. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I man. might as well be because I don't see any animals <laughs> anyway, as we all know who have ever listened to anything I've ever done about hunting. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. John Fitzgerald, thank you so much for coming in, sir. Yeah, thank you guys so much. Yeah, it was, 
it was awesome chatting with you guys both. This is this is so neat. We will throw that training essentials for ultra running book link in the show notes. Remember to rate, review, subscribe to the podcast anywhere you get your podcast, and we will be back next week.